All right. I believe today is the last uh, week of our series in rest. I hope you have been looking for ways to rest in your life, and I hope the things that we've been hearing the last couple of weeks have been kind of, you know, permeating or kind of, you know, ringing through our heads um, as we go about our day today. But today is our last week. We're going to go to the book of Mark. So can I get you to open up your Bibles, please? Book of Mark, first chapter. I'm going to read verse 35 to 39. Mark chapter 1, verse 35 to Uh, it's good to see everyone. Oh, it feels different uh, kind of being back here um, in a good way, right? Um, but everyone feels a little bit far, far away. I don't know. Um, anyway, um, well, it's good to uh, be together here again um, as we continue. Just, I guess this, um, this series, you might call it on rest. It's kind of been for me um, my own journey of figuring out what rest is, uh, what went wrong with rest, and why is it so hard to find rest, and how might we um, do a better job in um, finding ourselves in a place of rest. Now, in the first week, I talked about the problem of rest. In it, I kind of went through a uh, systematic or biblical theology of what rest was meant to be originally as designed by God, uh, how it got broken uh, in uh, Genesis, and how we are now constantly in a state where, you know, our work is restless, and then rest is also a lot of work. And we're kind of in this place right now until we get to the new heavens and new earth. Uh, We're just in this difficult place that we're in. Uh, Last week, I talked about the place of rest. And I said that the place we are meant to find rest for our souls is in Jesus Christ. And if we are to find rest in Jesus, then our souls will be at peace. We will be settled and we stop chasing these things that we often try to chase through other means, such as work, right? Our satisfaction or our significance and our security. That if we come to Jesus, we'll be fulfilled in these areas, and so then we will find rest in our souls, and that will then flow on into the way we think or how we feel. And today, as we kind of round off this three-week series, I want to talk about the pursuit of rest. As we chase after rest, I just want to um, kind of tell you two practical things that I think you and I could do in order to reclaim our rest in our lives. Now, we live in... Um, a moment in time, in a moment in history where uh, technology has never been more advanced than it is now. Right? Technology is meant to make our lives easier, right? meant to make things quicker, right? meant to make things um, just, yeah, just, just more comfortable in life. Not only that, uh, we have never been richer in life as well. Right? We are very, uh, a wealthy nation with so many opportunities and things that we could do. And so it's weird that we would uh, even struggle with rest, with all our advancements in technology and just how wealthy we are. Why is it that we, uh, the richest and most advanced people, struggle so much with rest? 
And what I'm going to suggest is that it's because of these things that oftentimes we lack rest. It's because we are so advanced in technology. It's because we have so many opportunities that we end up being restless. And what we need to do, and these are the two things I want to encourage you to do, is we need to reclaim our rhythm of rest, and then we need to reclaim our priority of rest. Okay, so let me just talk about uh, these things. Number one, reclaiming our rhythm of rest. When we go to the book of Genesis, uh, and we look at how God created the universe, uh, God created this world in, in a rhythm. He didn't create this world in a kind of constant state where nothing's changing, but it, it has a rhythm of days, of weeks, and seasons that make up the year. Right? That's how God has made this world. Right? If you go to Genesis chapter 1, verse 14 and 15, it says, God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. So this is a recount of the fourth day of creation. And on the fourth day of creation, God creates these lights, right? The sun and the moon. And he does it, it says, in order to separate day from night. Right? So here we see that God created this rhythm of days where it is a day, and then it is night, and then it is day, and then it is night. It's like this rhythm that we go through where the sun rises and it goes down, and the sun rises and it goes down. This is the rhythm that God has placed into our life. And rhythm is important. It helps us to kind of get into the flow and and know where we're at. Not only that, we see in this passage that the rhythm is also found in our years. God says, let them be signs and for seasons and for days and years. And so God has created rhythm when we step back into our year. When you look at our year, it has seasons, as the passage says. Our 365 days are made up of summer, autumn, winter, spring. And that in itself creates a rhythm of our lives, where things may grow, where things may fall, where there's time of waiting. And of course, in Genesis, we see God's rhythm of the week. God created the world in six days, and then he rested on the seventh. There is that seven-day rhythm, where it's Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And each day is a little bit different from the others. And each are unique. And at the end of Sunday, we will roll back to the Monday and continue on that seven-day rhythm. So all I want to say is that God has created this world to be a world of rhythms. A rhythm of days, of weeks, and years. And in this rhythmic world, God has folded into it rest. Because when you think about those rhythms I've just talked about, of days, of weeks, and the seasons, in it, God has given us rest. So when God divided the day from night, in it, he's really given us rest. Back Way back in the past, when the sun would set, it would force people to stop their work. It would force people to rest. But there's nothing else to do. You can't see things in front of your hands. You can't talk to the people. You can't go shopping. And so in a way, it had forced people to stop, to rest and reflect and rejuvenate for the next day to come. 
When you think about the day and the night, this is the rhythm of sleep. Right? Then when the sun sets, we lie down, we close our eyes, and we too go to bed. God has folded into the rhythm of days the ability to sleep. Also, when you look at the week, again, a big part of the seven-day week that God has established is that we would rest. God worked for six days. He rested on the seventh. Now, I've talked about that in the previous sermons, how it's a symbol of you know, the rest, the eternal rest that we could have entered into. If Adam finished his work, we would have entered into rest. But it's not just a symbol, it's also a model for us. Well, that's how the book of Exodus or the Ten Commandments talk about it. That because God worked six days and rested, we too should work six days and rest. Now there's a whole debate on whether this is still binding for us because we're in the new covenant under Jesus and Jesus fulfilled the law. Right? And so regardless of all that though, it's probably wise that we should work and rest. But you see in that the rhythm right, of work and rest. So in the days we're working, we're resting, we're working, we're resting. In the weeks we're working, we're resting. And then when you look at the years, right, the seasons folded into that as well is rest. Because back in, you know, I guess the olden times when it was an agrarian society, where much of what people do was to plant seeds and grow them, the seasons would determine your work and your rest. So you would sow in the spring, and you would wait in the summer, you'd reap in autumn, and then you'd rest in winter, because in winter there's not much to do. And that would then create a rhythm, not just of work, but also of rest. Do you kind of see how the way that God has designed our days, our weeks, and our years is that it would be a rhythm? And in that rhythm, there would be rest. Here's the problem. Because of who we are and where we live, because of the advancements in technology and all of that, that line that once clearly um, divided work from rest and allowed us to go into that rhythm That line has been blurred. And now work isn't just work now. It bleeds into rest. And rest isn't just rest. It also becomes work. And it's kind of just become like this, I don't know, this this yucky smush of things. Like when you get different colors of paint and you mix it around, it's just brown. I feel like that's what life is like. We've lost that rhythm. We've lost that healthy rhythm of work and rest. Let me give you four reasons why we've lost it. Number one. Our days never end. Our days never end. Ever since the creation of artificial lighting, candles, and for us, now it's the light bulbs, we've got devices that they themselves glow, our days don't need to stop. What was once a kind of forced pause and stop in the life of people when the sun would set, we are no longer bound to that anymore, right? When the sun sets, we don't think, oh, we got to stop. We flick a light switch, we just keep going. Right? When the sun sets, our street lamps just automatically turn on. Right? The world we live in doesn't stop, and our days don't end. Now, people still walk around, people still talk, and they meet, and they go shopping, and they go to restaurants, and that means people at the restaurants are still working. Right? This world and the world that we live in simply does not stop. And it's funny, my room where I work is brighter at night than in the day. Uh, Just because of where it's situated, it doesn't get too much sunlight, but at night, I flick a switch, and it's so bright. 
That's the world we live in. But our days never end. And do you see how that will blur work and rest? And that line that once divided it is becoming a little bit blurry. And that rhythm is being lost. Number two, we bring work home. There's a growing number of us because of the kinds of jobs that we have. It is easier than ever before for us to bring work home with us. Now again, in the past, people were um, tied down uh, by their kind of works, right? So for example, if you're a farmer, let's say, your work is, is connected to physical labor in a physical place, and you have to use certain specific physical equipment. So the moment you go home, you can't work because you need to work at the field and you're not at the field. You need to use that tractor, but it's over there. Right? And so simply by the nature of your work, when you go home, you can't continue to work. Now, some of us, we were still like that. When you go home, there's not much you can do regarding work. But you know, for us in Australia, there's a growing number, a percentage of people who are able to work from home. Right? Where we work, we take our work home with us. That might be because our work is not physical, it's mental. And so as long as we have ourselves and we have our minds, we can continue to think and we can continue to work. Maybe because of our technology, as long as you have a laptop or an internet connection, you can just continue to work. It wasn't always like that, but now it is. And so we bring work into our times of rest and our workday doesn't end. And this is true not just of our days. Again, it's true of our seasons because we're not bound by the seasons anymore. And some seasons even is when we work more, right? Tax season. (laughs) It's gone the opposite way. So our days never end. We bring work home. And third, work comes to our home. And he knocks on our door even when we don't want it. Right, the ability to bring work home has always been possible. Right? The moment we could print out pieces of paper, you could bring that home and write on it. That was you taking work yourself and bringing it home. But now, with, again, advancement in technology, we don't just have computers on our desks, desktops. We don't have computers on our laps, laptops. We have computers in our pockets. We call them phones. And we use them for a whole lot of things that aren't just phone calls. But what that means is whenever your work wants to, they'll just come knocking at your door, right, through a message or an email. It's a very urgent thing. I need you to do this, right? And again, it depends on the kind of work we do. But now not only do we bring work home, but work now comes home. And it knocks on our door, and it demands that we never switch off. But you kind of see again how that rhythm is broken, and that line is even more blurrier. And the last one, number four. Not only do, we, do our days never end, not only do we bring work home, not only does work come to our home, but now, for some of us, work is home, and home is work, and you work from home. And that's so confusing, right? That's, that's me right now. If there's ever a thing that blurs the line between work and rest and all that stuff, it's when it's in the same place. Ever since COVID, work from home has become a big thing. And it has its positives. You can wear whatever you want from the waist down, as long as you don't forget to you know, just stay seated. Right? You get to be a bit more flexible. You save time with traveling. 
But one of the pitfalls of working from home is that line between work and rest is blurred. And so we work from the same place we sleep in, right in our bed, or where we eat. And this puts a big mental load on our minds, right? There's a shift that our minds need to take when we go from rest to work, right? In the book, um, Atomic Habits, um, the author talks about how location is really important for, to trigger habits. Um, it's one of the most important things he says. Wait, I've got a quote here. He says, in my opinion, location is the most powerful driver of mindless habits and also the least recognized. So when you sit down at your work cubicle, the location triggers for you, your mind, certain things that allows you to work. And when you go to bed, your, the location and the environment triggers certain things in your mind that helps you to rest. Now the problem is when the same location is meant to be work and rest, well that's difficult for your mind to switch from one to the other. Right? And so when people say that when you go to bed, just sleep. Don't work from your bed. Don't browse on your phone and watch YouTube, right? Or else you're going to associate that location with something that isn't rest. So those of us who work from home, this has now made it even more difficult. In the midst of all the good things that technology has brought us, in the midst of all the good things that, you know, this life or in a um, prosperous world has brought us, one of the things we've lost is that rhythm of the day and the night, of the work and the rest. We've lost that rhythm of rest. And what that means is we don't work as well as we should because we're not just working. Rest bleeds into that. And neither do we rest as well as we should because oftentimes our rest has work shoved into it as well. So when we work, we don't work well. And when we rest, we don't rest well. We're a generation that goes to work and we've got an Excel sheet open and at the same time we alt-tab and we watch a bit of YouTube or maybe hide it in the corner. And so while we're working, we're resting. And then when we go home, we sit at the couch and we put on the TV and then we respond to our work emails. And it's become blurry. And we fail to work well and we fail to rest well. And this kind of... Um, if the circumstances are bad, I feel like it leads into like a death spiral. That's my term for it. You go to work and you don't work properly because you're just procrastinating and resting. Rest is entered it. And because you don't work properly, you go home and you, you work at night and then you fail to rest. And so you're tired. You wake up tired. You go back to work and you're tired. So you kind of procrastinate even more and you don't do your work well. And so now you've got a lot to catch up on. You go back home and you do a lot of work at night. And now it just kind of spirals into like this, this horrible thing where you're not working and you're not resting. And you keep chasing. And so let me ask you, do you have a good rhythm of work and rest? Again, this is going to affect some of us more than others. For some of us, it's easy just by the nature of your work. When you leave work, it's done. I don't know, maybe because you, you, see, you see people or um, it's physical work. But for a lot of us, this is difficult. And so do you have a good rhythm where you work at work and then you rest when you're meant to rest? Or have you lost that rhythm? Has it become blurry? Do you fail to rest well? We were made to exist in a rhythm 
of rest and work. And if you've lost it, we need to reclaim it. God's intention is that we would have a rhythm of days, a rhythm of week, weeks, and a rhythm through our years. And in that rhythm, we work, we rest. In order to reclaim that rhythm of work and rest, we need to set some good boundaries. You need to set some good boundaries to make sure that you work when you work. And you need to set some good boundaries that you would rest when you rest. And I don't know what that looks like, but that's for you to figure out. Uh, One of the suggestions might be to um, put boundaries on our technology. Because oftentimes, maybe a phone or a laptop is both the place where we will work and we will rest. And so when you're trying to work, you're getting things that aren't related to work, like messages or the temptation to you know, browse other things like YouTube at the back of your Excel sheet. Right? And so to set boundaries on that technology so when you're working, you're working. And then when you go home, you set boundaries with notifications or you know, do not disturb modes so that when you rest, you rest and work isn't able to enter. But that, that 15 minutes to sit down and figure out how it works on your phone might make a huge difference for you, right? Mute the, the fantasy MBA notifications that happen in the middle of your workday. I mean, because just by default, when we see it, we respond to it. And on the flip side, mute your Slack notifications, if you can, when you go home to rest. If you work from home, maybe it means setting boundaries on your locations. And again, I've talked about this. Try to set your places of rest as places of rest and your places of work as places of work, if you have the ability to. So don't work from bed. Right? If you have a certain corner of your dining room table that you can make just about work, then just make that place about work. If you can have pockets of places in your house that can be a place of rest, then guard that as a place of rest and try not to make that a place where you'll respond to emails or make phone calls. On top of that, it might be helpful to have a place where this is where I meet with God, where I will rest in my soul with God. Have a prayer corner. Have your chair where you do your devotionals. Again, just by entering into that space, it will help your mind to trigger the habits that you want to build into your life. Again, so what boundaries can you set to reclaim your rhythm of rest in your life? Maybe it requires better planning. Maybe it requires finishing your work by Friday. Maybe you need to talk to your boss. Maybe you need to leave your work material or devices at the office when you come home for the Saturday and the Sunday. What can you do to reclaim that rhythm? That's the first reason why I think rest is hard in our particular unique situation. We've lost the rhythm of rest. We need to reclaim it. The second and the last one is that we need to reclaim our priority of rest. Rest in the midst of all the other things going on in our lives has just kind of fallen down and it's become not as important. Right? Our advancements in technology and the kind of wealth and the affluence and the opportunities, opportunities we have has made it so that there are so many things we could do that we really fail to do the things we should do. And one of those things is having healthy rest. 
Right? There are so many good things we can choose from. We call these opportunities. Right? We have so many opportunities in Australia. Uh, if you are an immigrant, this is probably why your parents came. They came here to give you more opportunities, to have more choice, that you can choose things that they simply could not. Choose what you might work as, what you might study, right? whether you will travel. Right? We have so much choice of what we might eat that our parents didn't have. This is a, meant to be a great thing, and it is. We get to choose what we might buy, right? what we might wear. These are, like, we have so many more choices than our parents did. We might look at someone who's living in poverty in a first world country, and we would conclude that they suffer from a lack of choices. Because they don't get to choose what they'll eat. They don't get to choose what they'll study. They don't get to choose their vacation. It's maybe forced upon them because it's only one thing that they can do. They don't get to choose what they might do for leisure because maybe they don't even have the freedom to do those things. Right? They don't have choice or opportunity. And they suffer from that. And so opportunity is, in a way, a good thing. But if people who live in poverty suffer from too little choice, we who live in prosperity, we suffer from too much choice. And that sounds like a, such a, um, first world, it's a first world problem, such a privileged thing to complain about. We, oh, I've got too many choices. But that is a problem. I don't know if you've heard of the book, um, The Paradox of Choice. The book is basically about that, that Choice is good to a certain extent. And when you begin to have too much choice, it becomes detrimental to your happiness. Um, it's not exactly the same as what I'm saying here, but, but uh, the, one example is, if you're going to buy a shoe, let's say, and there's only one kind of shoe in your whole city, well, that, that's what you're going to buy. But what if you wanted a different color, let's say? What if you wanted a different kind of shoe? That's a sports shoe and you wanted a work shoe. Isn't choice better? Isn't it better that you can choose different colors, different styles, different kinds of shoes? And so at a certain point, choice is better, but you hit a a point, and we don't know where it is, where then it becomes too many choices. And now decision-making becomes really hard. Because when you're trying to buy a shoe, well, there's 100 shops that you can go to with 100 different brands, with 100 different styles, and you don't know which one to choose. And with our advancement of technology, it's not a hundred different physical locations that you can go to, but now we've got a thousand or an infinite amount of online stores that we might need to visit in order to see all the different kinds of shoes to make sure we find the best shoe for us. And because there are so many different kinds of choices that we can make, when we do land on one and we say, I think this is the best one, we're like, but it's probably not. Because there were 9,999 other shoes that I probably could have chosen. And you're not sure. And the reality is, because there's so many choices, you did make the wrong choice. And so you're not as happy. Right? That's kind of what the book's about. A choice can actually become detrimental to our happiness. Now, when it comes to rest, I think it becomes detrimental to us in our rest. Because we have far too many things we could do And then we end up doing. And we fill our finite lives and our finite days with all these other things that are meant to be privileges and they are good things, but we stack our lives with it that all these maybe more important things get pushed out and along with them is rest. It's like the difference between having three things on your to-do list, right? If you had three things on your to-do list, 
easy. You don't need to order it. You can do that in a day, get it done. But we have like a hundred things on our to-do list in, in this figurative to-do list, or a thousand. There's no way we can fit all those things into one day. And unless you're gonna order them well and prioritize them properly, you'll end up doing the unimportant things and you'll lose out on the most important things. And that's why we need to reclaim priority in life because there's so many things we could do. And unless we sit down and determine what's the most important thing that I should be doing, we'll end up filling our lives with all these other things that aren't that important at all. But this is a unique problem for the wealthy. For us, you have opportunities. Again, some people in the world don't have this problem and they suffer from a different problem. We suffer from this first world problem. We have too many things we could do, too many things you could do at work with your thousands of to-do lists, too many things you could do for leisure because you could go play sports, outdoors, indoors, it's all lit. You can play virtual sports on games, on your computer or your Switch or your Play. There's so many things. You can do lessons, but you can do so many things at night. There's a limitless amount of media you could consume. It's like like a black hole. If you subscribe to Netflix, that's a black hole of things you could do. But we're subscribed to Netflix and Disney Plus and Prime, and it's just like overwhelming. And if you're not careful, your whole night is gone. You don't even know what happened. Like, what, what, what happened? I was just on YouTube and I went, and now, now, now it's 1 a.m. That's the life we live in. This is opportunity, but unless we prioritize, our time's gone. There's so many things our kids could do. And we're busy sending our kids to a million different things to give them opportunities. But is that really the most important thing that they need to be doing? All these good things can get in the way of the most important things. When we go to Mark chapter one, this is the passage that Peter read. It's a really interesting passage. In the context, um, Jesus has just begun his ministry. And in the verses before, in verse 33, it says that as he was doing ministry, the whole city was gathered together at the door. The whole city of where he was at had come to see him. Like there's so much kind of popularity around Jesus. There's so many people, so many voices, so many needs, so many hands, so many like, like voices crying out, demanding Jesus to give them attention. Do this for me. Right, this is the context that we find Jesus in. And then in verse 35, it says, rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place and there he prayed. This is the first surprising thing we find in this passage, and it's what Jesus did. In the midst of all the busyness that surrounded Jesus' life, all the things that he could do, we see Jesus prioritize prayer. That's the first surprising thing. Jesus understood in the midst of busyness of life and the thousands of things on his to-do list or could-do list, Prayer was priority. But the second surprising thing is not what Jesus did, but it's what Jesus did not do. Because in verse 36 it says, 
And Simon and those who were with, Je- with him, they were searching for Jesus, and they found him, and they said to him, everyone is looking for you. So Jesus got off to pray. The night before, the whole city had come to see him. Right? So overnight, people have woken up now, and they're like, where's Jesus? Where's Jesus? Because we, we need him to heal us. We need him to teach us. I want him to minister to me, to listen to me. Right? All these things that Jesus could do, right? And so they're looking for Jesus. Everyone is looking for you. And verse 38, this is the surprising thing. And he said to them, let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. In the midst of all the things and the voices that demanded the attention of Jesus, in the midst of all the good things that Jesus could have done, Jesus says, no. I'm not going to, it sounds a bit harsh, right? These people are like waiting for Jesus. It's like, we're going to go over there. I'm not going to give my time to them. And why is it? This is the reason why he says, that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. God is able to say no to all the thousands of needs that surround him because he knows the priorities in his life. He knows why he was sent here on earth. So by saying yes to his God-given priorities, it allows him to say no to all the other things that might try to steal his time. If you know what you should be doing on this earth, it allows you to say yes to that and then say no to everything else. And then by saying no to everything else, it gives you the space to really do the things God has put you on earth to do and do them well. And in the midst of that, have the freedom to rest. But we are people with so many things that when people call us, yes, I'll go to that thing, and yes, I've got to do that thing, and yes, I've got to watch that thing, and we could do so many things. We fill our lives with all these things, and we end up really accomplishing nothing. Right? This is, again, a unique problem that we have in Australia. In our privileged world of a thousand opportunities, we've got to figure out what God wants from us. We've got to figure out what God says we should be doing so that we could choose to do the things we should do rather than the things we could do. And say yes to God and feel free to say no to all these other things. Interestingly, in Mark chapter 8, we find Jesus in a very similar situation. It says he's surrounded by people and they had no leisure even to eat. And in that context, again, when people are clamoring for the attention of Jesus, Jesus says to his disciples, is Mark chapter 6, verse 31, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. He says, let's rest. Again, he, he says no to the crowd so that they would rest. Right? Jesus knew what he was here on earth to do. And if you know what you're here to do and you commit to that, then you will know that proper rest is the only way that you can actually fulfill that purpose. And so you will know what to do and know when to rest and know what to say no to. And that's what we've got to do. Say yes to the right things and no to the rest. There's a certain freedom in this, right? Into knowing in the thousands of things on our to-do list, these are the two most important things and everything else It's not that important. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. There it is. That's our purpose. That's our priority. It's God and his kingdom. 
It's exercising of our gifts. It's serving the saints. And all the other things are not that important. Right? I talked about this a little last week. All the other things we chase, all the other things that we think we need to satisfy ourselves, those things aren't important. We get our priority. We go to Jesus. We're fulfilled in him. And we say no. Right? There's a quote by Apple. It's like, I've got to put in an Apple quote somewhere. It's like, a thousand no's for every yes. Right, that's, the, that's pretty cool, right? <laughs> but I think that's our lives, you know. We need to say a thousand no's in order to say a single yes. Now, I went to a wedding rehearsal this week. Um, and as I got there, um, in the bridal party, there were two people um, that had asked me to do their weddings, but I had said no to <laughs> And it was super awkward, and I couldn't look him in the eye. I was like, <laughs> so I'm doing a wedding for their friend, but I'd said no to them. And I felt super bad about it, but, you know, they were cool about it. Um, and that was hard. Right? It was hard to say no. The reason why I said no was I decided when we were going to plant this church that in 2020 and 2021, so the last two years, I would not do any weddings outside of Kingsway because this was a season where I knew planting a church was priority. Right, in order to do that, right, in order to say yes to that, I felt like I had to say no to a lot of things. No to a lot of good things. Like, these aren't bad things. But say no to a lot of good things so that I might choose the best thing. And that's hard, right? And it's awkward. And, you know, I can't look at them in the eye. But I think that's what you've got to do. Rest is hard work. Right? Work is restless, but rest is hard work, at least on this side of heaven. And we need to be very conscious, purposeful, maybe even ruthless in our elimination of things if we are to find rest. Or else we will just say yes to the, all the voices that surround us and demand us. All the things that we're invited to. All the things that everyone else does. We need to be strong and put in the hard work in order to find rest. Why has God put you on this earth? If you were to sit down and write a list of the top five most important things that you could do in your life, right, in God, what would they be? And then if you were to sit down and write a list of all the things you actually do with your days, do they line up? And the reality is probably not. We probably waste a lot of our time doing things that aren't that important. And because our lives are so full of the fluff, we don't rest. We don't have time to. We are far too busy. What I want to encourage you is two things. Number one, prioritize your sleep. You know, they say that the majority of people actually do require seven to eight hours of sleep, right? And we all think that's not me. I'm, I'm, I'm different. You're not different. Majority of people need seven to eight hours of sleep. You know, sleep is a very spiritual thing. If you want to fulfill your God-given purpose in this world, you need to sleep, right, if you can, right? If you've got a newborn baby, you're excused in this season, you try your best, but you're not going to get it. But, you know, 
if you're like sleeping at 2 a.m. because you watch three hours of YouTube, that's a spiritual problem. If you know why God has put you on earth, you need to be able to say no to a lot of the things that you do. And you need to be able to sleep. D.A. Carson says, sometimes the godliest thing you can do in the universe is get a good night's sleep. Not pray all night, but sleep. I'm certainly not denying that there may be a place for praying all night. I'm merely insisting that in the normal course of things, spiritual discipline obligates you to get the sleep your body needs. I'm not, I'm not, you pray, okay? Praying is good, right? Dear Carson is one of the most kind of conservative um, scholars. But this is right. We need to sleep. We need to protect it. Make it a priority. And in order to say yes to sleep, what must you say no to? Right? So sleep. But also, guard your, your gathered worship. Guard your Sundays. Last week I said that in the deepest parts of our soul, in who we are, we need to find rest in Jesus. It is only in him, because he's finished the work, that we can be fulfilled in our souls. And here, when we gather, I mean, we, we need to come to Jesus every day, but here we gather together as a community that we might rest in Christ and be fulfilled in our hearts, to be redirected in our attention, to reorganize our priorities of life, and then go about our weeks again. This is so important for you as a Christian, for your spiritual rest. In order to say, to, in order to say yes to this, what must you say no to? If this is important for your spiritual rest and you are going to prioritize it, then you're going to say no to some things. And that is hard work. In the story of Mary and Martha, Jesus rebuked Martha, not because she was doing a bad thing, right? she was busy in the kitchen, but because she hadn't chosen the best thing, which was to sit at the foot of Jesus. Jesus says that, Mary has chosen the good portion, the one thing that is necessary. That's necessary for you as a Christian right, to rest at the foot of Jesus. We need to rest physically, yes, I've talked about that, mentally, emotionally, but spiritually, you need to rest. What does it mean for you to do the hard work to prioritize your spiritual rest at the foot of Jesus? Even serving Jesus is not as important as sitting with Jesus, right? What we do with him is far more important than we do for him, right? Our rest is much more important than our work. So rest, and what do you have to say no to to keep that? Let me close. We live in a very privileged time, right? Our technology is more advanced than ever. We're more rich and have greater opportunities than ever before, and these are all good things. But our first world problem is that rest has been lost in the midst of it. We've lost that rhythm of rest, of the day and the night, where there's a line between work and rest, and it's just blurred, and we need to reclaim that. We need to reclaim our rhythm of rest, 
In the midst of all the things that we could do, we've lost the priority of rest. Rest is just falling down in the midst of all the things that we could do, we could see, we could eat, we could go out to do, we could experience. And so I want to encourage you, reclaim your rhythm and set some boundaries and reclaim your priorities and say no to a bunch of things. All right, let's close our eyes and let's spend spend a bit of time in prayer. It's such a unique and interesting problem that we face in our very privileged life. And the solution really begins with us coming before God. That we might come before Him and ask for wisdom. That we might come before Him and ask Him to lead us into what matters most in our lives. To lead... to that we might find ourselves in Jesus and first find rest from our souls. And from that place, let me ask you, how can you reclaim your rhythm in life that you would work well and that you would rest well in your days, in your weeks, in your years and seasons? What boundaries can you set technology with your locations with the work that you bring home what do you need to do to balance your life properly would you ask God to help you in those things and in the midst of all the things that your life is probably full of as you make God's kingdom and pursuing and living for Him the most important thing What else can you say no to? What good things should you say no to? And would you wrestle with God about that and ask Him to help you to make the hard decisions that you might rest? Let's spend a bit of time wrestling with God in prayer.